0: Please remain standing for our scripture reading, which is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is God's word. Well, good morning. I hope you're enjoying summer as much as I am. Uh, Someone told me once that there are four seasons in Chicago. Have you heard this? Uh, Summer, early winter, midwinter, and late winter. (laughs) Well, let's pray together. Our Father, we bow in Your presence. We ask that Your Word, by Your Spirit, would uh, speak to us and that uh, You, Jesus Christ, would be honored and glorified. And we ask this in uh, His name. Amen. Well, I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, one room in uh, my home when I was growing up. There was a mantelpiece uh, above the fireplace. was a picture. And it was a picture of a person we called Grandfather, though I discovered later on in life that he he was not uh, my grandfather. He was um, a great-great-great-grandfather or something like that. Big, long beard, you know, the kind of picture. And uh, this picture always intrigued me because he had something of a twinkle in his eye. It's a formal pose, sitting in a chair, but he looked down. He always seemed to be sort of twinkly, you know. And I asked about the story behind the the painting. The story behind the painting is that uh, uh, someone owed uh, this this person uh, some money, and uh, he could not pay. And so instead of insisting that he pay him the money... He said, well, he was a painter, the man who owed the money. He said, look, just paint me a picture. And uh, there is grandfather with his twinkly eye, looking down at us all as we grew up. Father. It's an important word, isn't it? Father. And uh, it comes in all sorts of kinds of uh, literature and movies. Uh, Perhaps when you hear the word father, you think of uh, Star Wars, you know. Luke, I am your father. Or maybe a uh, more positive symbolism, like the end of It's a Wonderful Life, when all the children gather around uh, George, their father. At any rate, of course, uh, a mark of biblical Christianity is that we approach God as Father. Now, what does that really mean? Jesus is discussing that theme in this passage. And my goal today is uh, that we would all delight in the reality that we may approach God as Father in uh, prayer. Now, actually, it may not seem so, but uh, in reality, this is one of the more difficult parts of the Sermon on the Mount to interpret. And the reason why it's more difficult to interpret is because it's not immediately obvious why it is here at all. I mean, Jesus has just been talking about not judging and yet uh, discerning. You can cast your pearls before pigs and all that. And then suddenly he's saying, Ah, seek, knock. Well, why? <laughs> What's the connection? Uh, uh, why is it here? Well, there are two ways of usually interpreting it. One is that Jesus is referring back to what he said about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 33, and if that's right, then Jesus would be assuring us that if we do seek God, then we will find Him. We will find what we seek. So then this could be an application of that sort of theme, that idea. seek God and you will find Him. Uh, A sort of evangelistic appeal, perhaps. The other option is that Jesus could be uh, talking more specifically about prayer. And Jesus has uh, discussed prayer a little earlier, Matthew chapter 6 from verse 5 and 15, the well-known Lord's Prayer, where he says, uh, our Father in heaven. And Jesus could be referring back to that when he says, ask, seek, knock, uh, because he uh, then says, uh, you know, this is how your Father in heaven, how much more would he give gifts, good gifts to those who ask him? And so then if that's the case, Jesus could be sort of describing the privilege of being in the kingdom, we are children of God. Uh, He would be then appealing for us to make the most of that reality. Now, how do we decide between those two options? In biblical interpretation, context is the most significant rule. And so uh, let's uh, scan back to the immediate context of the Sermon on the Mount, but also let's zoom out wider to the message of uh, Matthew's gospel as a whole. What is it that Matthew is trying to accomplish with his gospel? Let's do a little bit of detective work this morning, uh, if we may, even though it is summer. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, what does uh, Matthew tell us his book is about? He tells us this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I once preached in Matthew chapter 1 as a, a whole sermon, you may remember it. But I think Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 is not only about the genealogy specifically, it's also an introduction to the whole book. Matthew is introducing his book in a way that will be familiar to the readers of Genesis with its genealogies and its sense of beginning. And he's saying this is the new beginning about Jesus. And so Matthew is saying that in this book I'm going to make the case that Jesus is the true son of David and the true Son of Abraham, that you heard about in the Old Testament. Here he is, Jesus. And so he's saying Jesus is the one who summarizes, fulfills, and then proclaims the kingdom of God announced in the Old Testament and promised to David and to Abraham. And so he's writing to make that case clear. And so the issue of the kingdom then is at the center of uh, Matthew's Gospel and the center of the Sermon on the Mount. So before the Sermon on the Mount begins, in chapter 4, Matthew is describing Jesus in verse 17 and verse 23 as proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And well then Jesus, as the disciples gathered him, he begins to explain what it means to enter the kingdom of heaven with his beatitudes. You need poverty of spirit. It's not for those who think they've arrived with God. It's for those who know they need God. Poverty of spirit. They will be filled. The Beatitudes about the Kingdom of Heaven, verse 3, the Kingdom of Heaven, verse 10, the Kingdom of Heaven. Those Beatitudes describe entrance to the Kingdom of Heaven and what it is like to be in the Kingdom of Heaven. And then to emphasize the point, right at the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus having taught that He is the King in the Kingdom of Heaven, that He's interpreting the King, the, the, the Bible correctly by saying, you've heard it, it was said, but I say to you, claiming that kind of authority and those who are listening begin to realize what he is saying, and they respond. Verse twenty eight, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority. So Jesus is saying that uh, not only does he have the right understanding of the Bible, but that he himself is the fulfillment of the Bible. And that following him we will keep the law and the prophets. What a claim. What a claim. And then this testimony to Jesus as the King of the Kingdom of Heaven, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, continues throughout Matthew's account of Jesus. He forgives a paralytic his sins. You may remember the story. And then they complain, don't they, that he has no right to forgive someone else their sins. And so Jesus just heals the paralytic physically as well, saying that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Rise, pick up your mat, and go home. What authority? And then he calls the twelve to him and what does he do? He gives them authority to proclaim the gospel, chapter 10. And then uh, he proclaims himself, Lord of the Sabbath? What a claim. He says how David entered the house of God, even David did, and ate the bread of the presence. So there is a An example for what uh, Jesus' followers were doing as they plucked uh, grains of of corn as they walked on the Sabbath. He ate the bread of the prince, but now one greater than the temple was there. What a claim. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, chapter 12. And then he tells these well-known parables, uh, parable after parable about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, central theme to Matthew's gospel, and he tells them, saying that uh, they grow as the seed of the word of his word is sown, so the kingdom grows. What a claim. And then he, uh, he goes to the temple, and what does he do? He authoritatively cleanses the temple, those who are preventing all nations coming to worship God, quoting from the Old Testament about himself. My house should be called a house of prayer claim. And then right at the end of the gospel, Matthew 28 verse 18, he having established that we are now approaching the king of the kingdom, he concludes, Matthew concludes, Jesus came and said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me so then go and make disciples of all nations. So what is Matthew saying? Matthew is saying that the promise to David and to Abraham where is that fulfilled? In Christ. In Jesus. And that now, Matthew tells us, is why this gospel of the kingdom is now not just there in a small piece of land in the Middle East. It's gone to all nations. Even to Wheaton. Because... Jesus the Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Why? He's the rightful son of David, the king of the kingdom of God, heaven and earth. What a claim. So then, with that context in mind, how do these few words here that we're considering this morning about asking, seeking, and knocking fit into that message? How do they fit into the message of the Sermon on the Mount? Here's how I think it works and uh, you will see what you think. I think this is saying that this kind of asking seeking and knocking is a mark a distinctive mark of this kingdom. It is a sign of biblical Christianity right across the globe. King Jesus all authority on heaven and on earth and been given to him. King Jesus encourages his followers to treat God as Father. It is a unique approach in the kingdom of God. And there is therefore replicated a characteristic asking, seeking, and knocking in prayer all around the world where the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed today. Now, of course, we often uh, joke, don't we, about... Uh, Prayer sometimes, perhaps we just talk about uh, saying our prayers. And there is a rather old schoolboy joke, a chemistry joke. It goes like this, say a prayer for Jimmy Brown, for Jimmy is no more. What he thought was H2O was really H2SO4. But Jesus is uh, advocating more than saying, saying our prayers. I mean, it's good to say your prayers, but he's not just talking about saying your prayers. Ask, seek, knock. It's not just saying your prayers. Not, neither is a sort of fake piety that uh, does a lot of praying but does little. You know the kind of person who says, "Well, I'm not going to help you, but I pray for you anyway." You know, as R. W. Dale put it, "Work without prayer is atheism." Yes, but then he carried on, and prayer without work is presumption. So we mustn't put those two things. Prayer and activity at war with each other. They, they go together. Perhaps I myself am the answer to my prayers. Perhaps you yourself for the answer to your prayers. So how are we to understand what Jesus is saying? Well, let me illustrate it for us like this, what Jesus is teaching. Look at what Jesus is teaching about prayer like this. If you, if you wanted something from your boss, your employer, you approach him with that relationship of an employee to employer, Uh, You may have a good relationship, you may, uh, you know, get along well together, but you're conscious that he's your employer. But when you approach your father, it's different, isn't it? First of all, you ask. You know how it works. Dad, can I take the car out today? Perhaps Dad hides at that moment. Uh, but then you seek. Mom, where is Dad? I cannot find him anywhere. I want to take the car out today. Then you knock. You find him in the basement working on a project with his tools, and you hammer on the basement door. Ask. Seek. Knock. This is how children approach their fathers, isn't it? A daughter will climb onto her father's knee, give him a big hug, look at him with her twinkly eyes and say, Dad, could I have a little bit more pocket money, please? A son uh, may be a little more direct, if respectful. But he doesn't have the thought that dad needs persuading before he's allowed into his presence. He is his father, after all. Now, of course, this typical characteristic that Jesus makes clear of our approach to a human father may uh, perhaps be particularly true of exemplary fathers. An excellent father will remove the dross from the silver and gold of a child's request and make sure that only the silver and gold is given. He will give bread if the child asks even for a stone. He will give fish if the child asks for a serpent. If the child asks for something that is not good for them, the good father will not give what is not good, even if the child is disappointed. But nonetheless, as Jesus says, All fathers, which would, even though we're evil, who would give a serpent when a fish is requested? Though the human condition is such that human fathers are all naturally evil, by the way, that is Jesus' description of our nature. Even so, the nature of the father-child relationship, well, that surely means who, who would give us a stone when bread is asked for? You see, by encouraging us to approach God as Father, Jesus is not downgrading God from His position of absolute, awesome, wholeness, and transcendence. He, He is explaining how those in the kingdom of God have an opportunity to access this awesome, transcendent, awesome, amazing God. Imagine, you see, again, look with me in this metaphor that Jesus has here, this picture that Jesus has here, this description that He has here. Imagine the most well-known person you can think of, the most powerful person you have ever met. Perhaps you went to a fundraiser for a politician or something like that. Imagine seeing that person at a press conference and observing how they replied to the questions, the asking, seeking, knocking, the questions of the media. Here you are, it's Michael Jordan. So if someone shouts out, Michael Jordan, uh, tell us why you wear Nike shoes. You see, Jordan replies. <laughs> uh, Mr. President, what are your latest feelings about the state of the nation? We hope they are good, you know. And Brad Pitt, could you explain to us your acting technique for this movie? And Brad thinks, oh, acting technique? Do I have one? And, you know, et cetera. Yeah, if you're listening, Brad Pitt, I'm so sorry, you know. But anyway, and you know. <laughs> And you watch them reply, and they're clever, and they're careful to all these requests, and then someone asks something different. Mr. President, would you take me into the Oval Office? I'd like to have a look around, just you and me, for the sake of it. Everyone looks pretty embarrassed. Other questions are quickly asked of a more appropriate kind. Um, Or someone asks, uh, Michael, not, not Mr. Jordan, Michael, could you and I just go one-on-one under a hoop for ten minutes? Stunned silence. Other questions of the more appropriate kind are asked. Brad, uh, uh, someone asks, I'd always like to have a look into one of those stars' dressing rooms. You know, the one with the big star on the outside. And you know, could we just get a few minutes in there after we've done with all these other people? Brad scowls back. And the press conference continues with more appropriate questions. And then afterwards, a a little chap toddles up to the president and goes hand in hand into the Oval Office. If you could follow them in, you would see him not only enter the inner sanctum, but play under the desk with the President. Sit on his knee and eat crackers on that famous carpet. Another small person grabs Brad Pitt by the arm and they meander off together to the star's room. If you could peer inside, you would have seen them playing peek a together behind the door. And on the basketball court... Jordan not only plays one-on-one, he lifts the little man up and helps him slam dunk. Score! He shouts. As they laugh together. No less a president, no less a star, but also a father. There is a kind of father prayer that is characteristic of biblical Christianity that's an integral component to being in the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. Asking, seeking, knocking. That doesn't mean we approach God with careless words, without respect for his honor or dignity, or with a little forethought and consideration. It means that as Christians, when we approach God, we approach our Father. I mean, few respect anyone like a 10 year Who respects anyone more than a 10-year-old child respects a father he loves? My dad is bigger than your dad. Who praises the glory of a man more than the child who boasts of their dad's achievements? Who talks more loudly of their dad and how strong he is, how great he is, how wonderful he is, and the child speaks to the father he loves, and who loves him? To treat God as Father is not to treat Him shoddily or shambolically, it is to treat Him with extravagant praise because of the extraordinary intimacy lavished upon the children of God. You see, I'd like us to realize, perhaps again, how attractive this is and how distinct See, one of the signs, it seems to me, of the removal of the emphasis of biblical Christianity, of the gospel of the kingdom, is the removal of prayer. Prayer like this, for sure. Christians soak in the Word's description of God as Father, and we learn simply to love, to pray. It's hard to stop us praying in the same way it's hard to stop a child running to greet her father when he comes home from work. But alternative ideologies and competing philosophies about reality, they create different attitudes to God and therefore prayer. Some see prayer as a political statement because if they do not even believe in God at all, prayer can only be a way of sending subtle messages to other people with our eyes closed instead of open. Is there any difference between this and a sort of attempted mass wish fulfillment, or even worse, some suspect, an underhanded manipulation? But a Christian knows God as his or her Father, and therefore prays because God is Father and will answer prayers like a Father. If people believe that God is not real, then they will not pray, let alone pray like this. If they pray at all, it will be as infrequent desperation before an interview or exam or when in danger. It will be prayer as a spiritual poem, an art form for personal reflection. (laughs) Or a statement of communal solidarity, holding hands around a campfire and sending out positive hippie vibes. The idea that God actually hears and answers prayer in the same way that a father hears and answers a child... That is characteristic of Jesus teaching about life in the kingdom of God, and therefore is one of the signs of the progress of biblical Christianity around the globe. According to Jesus, God, like a Father, answers our seeking and asking and knocking by giving us what is truly good for us. Prayer, in one way or another, is common across the globe. You will find people praying in temples, mosques, and on street corners. But Christians pray in a markedly distinct way. They pray, asking, seeking, knocking, like a child with a father. Conscious of the supreme majesty of God, creator of all, above all, over all, in control of all, worthy of all, praise and adoration, this almighty God through Jesus. They approach as a child to a father. That's what it's like to be in the kingdom, according to Jesus, by Jesus' authority. It's a mark of biblical Christianity now throughout the globe as the gospel of the kingdom goes to all nations. Now, Jesus here does not promise that if we ask God for something, He will always give us what we ask. That would be a terrible burden to carry, wouldn't it? I mean, if God always gave me what I asked, I would rarely, if ever, have any courage to ask for anything. How could I be sure that what I was asking was always wise or truly best? You think of a boy might earnestly ask that God would help his football team win the game every Saturday that season. He looks back and not remember them often winning that year at all. But in God's economy, losing may have been good for the team. It may have also been good for the other teams. For every no I have heard from God, there has been an unheard yes behind. A yes to someone and something far better, a truly good gift. And so, to be honest, I am in a way more grateful for unanswered prayers than answered ones. For the unanswered ones allow me to find the answer I truly seek. Is it not amazing that God will give us bread even if we ask for a stone? So you can find other religions that will talk with some eloquence and accuracy about the almighty strength of God. God as creator, his omniscience and omnipresence, and other true and good declarations about God's power. But Jesus tells us to approach God with the attitude that He is our Father and will give us what is good. Jesus is advocating us to ask. Not only ask, but also seek, and not only seek, but also knock. A day or two ago, someone posted on the internet this quotation from C.S. Lewis, which reminded me of this passage. He wrote at one point in Mere Christianity All this trying leads up to the vital moment at which you turn to God and say, You must do this, I cannot. It is the change of being confident about our own efforts to the state in which we despair of doing anything for ourselves and leave it to God. And so we hear the ringing declarations of what God requires in the Sermon on the Mount, the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and you and I think cannot do that. And then as we ask, seek, and knock, we find that Jesus opens the door. We receive, find, and the door is open for us. Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. It reminded me of a a student I knew from non-Christian parents and she explained to me how she found God at the time she had been sick. And she said that she had simply prayed, she'd come to church, she knew the biblical framework by then, but she had simply prayed, Help me. Thank you. And the Father opened the door. So, knowing God as your Father, child of God, through faith in Jesus as the King of the Kingdom of God. Now rejoice and delight in this extraordinary access an opportunity that you have. There's a, a story, a book, that uh, I much loved reading many years ago. It's a little book called The Silver Sword. It's about refugees during World War II and how they found their way back to their father. Among the refugees there's one called Jan who's an orphan and he tags along with them and protects them. They all together ask, seek and knock. They go to astonishing lengths to find their way home. One of them rides underneath a train hanging on to the undercarriage in the winter until in the cold he's literally frozen to the train. He Seeks. They ask anyone who might know the whereabouts of their father, they go through all the lists to see whether he's deceased or not, where he is, where he's gone, what's happened. And When the children are finally reunited, as you can imagine, there is unfailing rejoicing. They've traveled and hidden from enemies and gone without food. They've sought and they found. And they're reunited to Dad. And the little orphan boy, he's accepted as well. He rejoices, <laughs> though he remains very much still irrepressible, Jan. You have a Father in heaven. A far better Father than any human one. A Father who always give you what is good, even if He does not always give you what you want or expect. Whose better yeses stand behind the unwanted nose. So then, my friends, with all this in mind, the Father God, who we can seek and will find, how's our praying? How's our devotional Um, practice? Are we saying our prayers? That's good. Are we asking, seeking, and knocking? How about in small groups or in adult communities or at home as a family? Would you delight, energetically, ask, Seek, knock, and the special opportunity that you have as a child of God to approach God as Father in prayer this week. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you that uh, through Jesus we can come to you with uh, boldness and confidence, not on the basis of our own merits, but on that reckoned to us uh, by the death of Jesus received by faith. and we can come openly freely to you father we bring before you the um, the requests of our hearts we ask we seek we knock. And Father, we trust you that uh, you will give good things. Perhaps not what we right now want, but what is best. We delight in your fatherhood, God, this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen.